The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. If you've been following the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast, you know that for the last few weeks we've been dealing with the subject of the kingdom of God. By the kingdom of God, we're talking about the church of God, that is, the visible aspect of the kingdom of God here on earth. We began looking first at what the church is, and now we're looking at what the church believes. We have taken the Articles of Faith of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which were adopted in 1847, and have begun looking at them from a scriptural standpoint. You know, these articles may be old, but if they're based on scripture, they will stand. And so far, we've looked at the first article of faith, which states that we believe in one true and living God, and that there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. For the past several messages, we've been dealing with the first part of this article, which speaks of the one true and living God. Yesterday, we learned that the God we serve is the living God. We saw that the Old Testament writers and New Testament writers all believe this. Today, we conclude this message by seeing how important it is to us, both as individuals and as a church, that we understand our God is alive and well today. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
Over the book of Revelation, we'll go to this one more place and then move on a little bit. In the book of Revelation, you know, this, you know the setup here that John the Revelator, John the Apostle, is exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And he's in his elderly years. He, I don't know exactly how old he was, but this is in the 90s A.D. Remember, Jesus was crucified somewhere in the 30s A.D., in the 30s. He was about 33 years old when it happened, and we think he was probably born in 4 B.C. or somewhere that, thereabouts. But it's not a certain date there, but it's, it's kind of a general date. But, but in the 30s, sometime around 30 A.D., Jesus was crucified, and John was already an adult. John was a fisherman. He was engaged in fishing for a trade, and, and John became one of his apostles. He became the apostle that Jesus loved. He became one that was so close to him that he reclined upon his bosom. He laid his head upon Jesus' breast at one point, we're told. Oh, how I long to be able to be that close to Christ one day. I want to lay my head on Jesus' breast. I want to just, you know, do you ever remember when your father would hold you up tight, maybe, uh, and, and hold, or someone you love would just hold you close, and it make you feel so much better? Can you imagine that kind of closeness to the Lord Jesus Christ? The one who loves you more than your father ever did, than your mother ever did, than anybody that you can think of ever has. He loves you with an everlasting love, and one day he will be in his presence. Oh, I, I long for that. John had that experience, and then he saw him crucified, and then he saw him resurrected, and then John's the only apostle, we're told, that died a natural death. All the others died martyrs' deaths. But he was persecuted, my beloved. He was persecuted. He was a pastor of a church over there, and he, he was exiled for his faith. He was put on this island of Patmos, and, and he was uh, stuck over there uh, laboring for the Roman government. And, and one day, when he's in the Spirit on the Lord's day, we're told that the Lord Jesus Christ came to him and appeared to him. His friend came to him. You know, I think about the loved ones that I've lost in my life, those that I was so close to, my grandfather, my, my father recently, I think about how wonderful it would be if I could just have five or ten minutes with them. If I could just, if they could just, the doors of heaven somehow could open up and they could just come down here or I could go up there and we could just, we just talk for a few minutes. Uh, my, Sherry, my dear wife, she, she, she often has dreams about her mother and her grandmother and all that. I've never been able to dream. I don't know why. I've never been able to dream like that. I wish I could, though. I had one or two dreams in my life about my grandfather in years past, and it was so sweet when I woke up. I felt like I'd been with him. How, how would you love, wouldn't you love to just have a few minutes with one of those loved ones? John was close to the one who was closest to him of all, and he got this opportunity. I don't know, I, you know, I can just see John, you know, we talked a lot about Sister Minnie, and over the last few months, Sister Minnie said many times, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go. I, I, I'm ready to leave this world. I just can't imagine that the Apostle John was worth anything after the book of Revelation. <laughs> I can't imagine. If the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to me, I just, want, all I'd want to do is sit down and think about those few minutes that I was with him, <laughs> and I'd probably not ever get anything else done. <laughs> But I know this, his friend appeared to him. And what I wanted to get to this morning is what his friend told him. In verse 17, when I saw him, this is Revelation chapter 1, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. 
And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. You know, let me just say this. Every time an angel or the Lord appeared in his glory or in their glory to one of his children, he always had to tell them to fear not. This idea that when we see Jesus, if he were to appear right now, we'd come running up to him and slap him on the back. You know, this was John, the beloved apostle. He didn't run up to him and say, man, I've been waiting on you. It's so good to see your buddy, old pal. No, he fell at his feet as dead. When Isaiah saw God uh, high and lifted up on the throne and the train filled the temple, he didn't run up to him and say, hey, it's about time you got here. <laughs> no, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Be that as it may. He says, fear not, I am the first and the last. Now listen to this. I am he that liveth. And was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. In case you didn't believe it completely, he put that little amen on there. Say, this is me. I live. I'm alive. I was dead. And I live forever. Amen. <laughs> That's kind of what he, he's doing there. Reminding us that he is the living God. I said earlier, the, the fact that He is the living God is important to us. It, it ought to be important to us as a church, but it ought to be important to us individually. You see, the fact that He is the living God means that He is greater than all the other little g gods of this world. Turn with me back over to the book of Jeremiah, the 10th chapter. I want to look for just a second at that chapter and share some thoughts from it and I want you to notice what he's talking about here. This, this chapter is sometimes misunderstood and misapplied in our day to have something to do with Christmas and current holidays. This is not talking anything about that. It's talking about the current state of paganism in Jeremiah's day. And notice in verse 1 what he says here. Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. This is Jeremiah 10 and verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. In other words, there were astrologers in that day that were constantly trying to read the stars and try to figure out the signs of the heavens, the signs of the times. But he said they're dismayed at those things. They're, they're always up and down depending on the, the configuration of the stars. For the customs of the people are vain. Now notice what the people are doing. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers that it move not. They are upright as the palm tree. Now, in other words, this is somebody creating an idol out of wood. And they stand it up and they decorate it with nails and with hammers. They fix it to where it won't move. And it says it stands upright just like the palm tree. They, they are upright but speak not. This is the gods of the pagans. They must needs be born or carried because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither also is it in them to do good. In another place, I believe it's Psalm 42, the psalmist writes, and it's the song we sing, As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. He's, now listen, he says, My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. <laughs> And notice what we got here. We got some dead gods. We got a piece of wood that stands upright. And what do you do with that piece of wood? You got to pick it up. You got to carry it around. If you want the 
the piece of wood over here in this corner, you got to take it and set it there. If that was our God, we'd have to move him around. We'd have to come in here on Sunday mornings and we'd have to pick him up. Maybe we want him in the front. Well, we'd have to pick him up and put him there. Maybe we'd have to take him to the back. You know, wherever he goes, though, we'd have to do it. You notice what we pray for here? We pray, Holy Spirit, come be among us. You know why we pray it that way? Because we don't move him, he moves us. He moves us. Our God is a living God. He doesn't have to be born. He said, don't be afraid of them. They can't do evil. You say, preacher, I don't bow down to idols. What are you talking about? We're not here. I'm not some kind of pagan worshiper. Well, I know Brother Luke Hagler preached here a couple of Sundays ago. He talked about some idols that convicted me. You know, what is an idol? What is an idol? An idol is anything that comes between you and God. Anything that you put above God is an idol. That being said then, aren't there some gods or idols of this world? What about the God of money? What about the God of fame? What about the God of pleasure, sex, drugs, alcohol? What about those gods? There are those that pursue those above their pursuit of the living God. You see, anything that we pursue above the living God is an idol. It's a God that we have elevated in our minds and in our hearts above Him. You say, well, I don't really do those things, preacher. I, what about the God of work? <laughs> I tell you, I struggled with that one. You know, sometimes the ox gets in a ditch. I'm not talking about that. You have, you have your ox in the ditch, that's Jesus Christ. Jesus mentioned that and understood it. Now, but here's the problem. <laughs> is your ox always in the ditch? <laughs> if the ox is always in the ditch, you either need to sell the ox or fill in the ditch. <laughs> That's what you see. It becomes an idol. Work can be an idol. Play can be an idol. I know people that in deer season or other, some kind of hunting season, you won't see them in church. They're, they're in the woods. They're, and, and they say, well, I can worship God just as well in the tree stand. Well, you can worship God in the tree stand, and you ought to. But you can't worship Him just as well in the tree stand. If, he, if you could, He would have said, you need to go to church, but you can also go to the tree stand if you want to. <laughs> he didn't say that, did He? You can't worship God the way you ought to worship Him unless you do it the way He says you ought to. What about the God of the iPhone? <laughs> Has that not become an idol today? I get this little thing that pops up every week on my iPhone. It says screen time. And it tells me the screen time. And I want to tell you, I am so convicted every week. Every week I say I'm going to cut back on it. And every week it seems like it's more. <laughs> of course, that's playing into the gods of work and the gods of play. You see, what about the god of video games? <laughs> what about the god of fortune? You see where I'm going with that. See, the problem with all these gods is they're just like this God that they made here with the tree that's upright but speaks not, that sits there fastened with nails and hammers but moves not. And he says in verse 5 as we continue reading there, Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither also is it in them to do good. For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, 
and thy name is great in might. And now listen to these questions he begins to ask him. Who would not fear thee, O king of nations? For to thee doth it appertain. For as much as among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like unto thee. You know why there's none like unto thee? He's about to tell us. They, speaking of these little g-gods, those dead gods, are altogether brutish and foolish. The stock or that, that piece of wood that's sitting upright, the stock is a doctrine of vanities. Silver spread into plates is brought from Tarshish. Gold from Euphaz, the work of the workmen of the hands of the founder. Blue and purple is their clothing. They are all the work of cunning men. All these gods that we're talking about, the gods that you make and set up, but the gods that you elevate above, above the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of work, the God of play, the God of money, the God of fame, the God of fortune. All these are the work of cunning men. It's the work of men. But notice verse 10, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting King. At His wrath the earth shall tremble and the nations shall not be able to abide His indignation. You see the difference? The fact that He is a living God means that He is greater than all these other gods of this world. You know, is that not the lesson of the prodigal son? Is that not the lesson that the prodigal son learned when he awoke one morning and he's out there sitting in the hog pen with the husks of the hogs all around him and he's lusting after the husks there that those hogs were eating. This precious little child of God, he was a, that's not about a young man going down and getting born again. That's, about, that's a young man. He already had experienced the pleasures of dwelling in his father's house. His relationship to his father is that he was his son no matter what. But the fellowship was broken. And he woke up down there after pursuing the gods of pleasure, the gods of work, the gods of play, the gods of fame, the gods of fortune. And he said, what am I doing here? All these gods are dead. There's nothing to them here. I want to tell you something, child of God. There's pleasure in sin for a season. The party is fun while it lasts. But the prodigal son learned that the famine always comes after the party ends. And he ended up in a place he had no business being. A little Jewish boy down there feeding the unclean hogs. Oh, my. You know what he found out? He found out that all these gods I've been pursuing are dead gods, but there is one true and living God. I'm going to go back to my father's house. He's got servants in that house that fare better than I do. I'm going to go back. You know, that's a beautiful tale there, a beautiful story about the fact that even when our fellowship is broken, we can turn around and go back. And, and you know, it's a long way back sometimes. It's a struggle to get back, but do but you remember what happened as he, as he was journeying back home, as he was heading back to where he had grown up, where he had experienced the, the joys of fellowship with his father? It says the father ran to meet him. I like that vision. God, that, that, that man was a representative of God. God, represented by this father, ran to meet this wayward child. And brought him on home. And all the things that he was going to tell him, he didn't even get to tell him. <laughs> so just make me a servant. Just let me be like one of the hired him. No, no, you're a son. And you, you have been dead to me in fellowship. And now you've been brought home. You're coming home to renewed fellowship. See, 
those gods are all dead. But the fact that he is the living God means that he is alive and well today. You know, his, his resurrection is the operative fact of our existence as a church. I've heard of churches, so-called, that claim not to believe in the resurrection, or at least they say, well, you really don't have to believe in the resurrection to be a part of our church. You can believe whatever you want to. Maybe it's just an allegory. If you're in one of those churches, and I know you're not, but if you're in one of those churches, get out. <laughs> Because it's not a church. I'm telling you, the church is founded upon the operative fact of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those, those Corinthian Christians got all mixed up about that. They said there's no resurrection of the dead. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 said, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. The fact is, Christ is resurrected. He is alive. And it also means this. As we bring this to a close this morning, in Hebrews chapter 7, you might turn there, the fact that he is alive, he is a living God, means that he is able to save us completely. He's able to save us completely. Notice in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Now, there's a whole lot more there that we could back up and pick up there and we could keep reading, but I just want you to notice this. Every single child of God that is born again, he is able to save that child to the uttermost. That means literally evermore, evermore. There's no, you know, we ought to believe and trust in Him. But even when our faith flags, even when our trust wavers, it's not our belief that gets us to heaven. It's His faithfulness that gets us there. You know, sometimes we get in the situation, don't we, where we trust in our trusting, we believe in our believing. I'm glad I don't believe in my believing because there's too many times during every day where my, my believing wavers. I believe, you say, well, hi, what do you mean by that? I say, well, I get out there and I get frustrated. I get to dealing with things in life. And I don't, I'm clearly acting in such a way that I don't trust him. Peter acted in a way that he didn't trust him. He denied him. Praise God, Peter's faith wasn't in his own faith. Peter's faith was in this God who is able to save to the uttermost them that come to him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. He goes on to talk about this. Lord Jesus Christ, as the high priest who became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. He is the living God. That's what our forefathers believed 175 years ago. That's what Elder Andrew Jackson Coleman believed as he sat on this presbytery. That's what those seven members who joined this church, who became the charter members of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, believed. And praise God. That's what we still believe 175 years later. He is the living God. Our theology at Zion Church is, as it rightly ought to be, a big God theology. A God who can do what he said he would do. And most importantly, a God who is able to save his people from their sins as he said he would. Because he's a living God. He's a, living, he's a true God and he's a living God. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. 
I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.